You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, every one his fellow, and every one his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be your rule. In that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against Yahweh, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. Yahweh has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. Yahweh will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard, the spoils of the poor, is in your houses, What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. Yahweh said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and Yahweh will lay bare their secret parts. In that day, The Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty, she shall sit on the ground. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. Today is 
September 11th, 2021. 20 years after the events which kickstarted what we know of as the War on Terror, invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq, exercises around the globe to fight Islamist terrorists. Today is Saturday. This is episode 147 of season three, 212 overall. And I just read for you Isaiah chapter three in the English Standard Version. This chapter here will never be an episode of Veggie Tales. This chapter here will never be acted out with flannel graphs, with anthropomorphic asparagus. This one does not make it into your children's Bibles illustrated. Not like this, it doesn't. But all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for instruction unto righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that includes judgment on Judah and Jerusalem by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. This judgment is not a departure from God's goodness. This judgment was an exercise of God's goodness. God declared his reasons for allowing Judah and Jerusalem to fall into the hands of their enemies and even to become enemies of one another. When a people oppresses itself, it judges itself. Look at some of the language here. My people, infants are their oppressors. I think about that every now and then when I consider the attitude of recent decades toward having children, raising children in popular society. Not everybody, obviously, but too many people look at having children as a great burden and a great curse, even. I was at work Thursday, actually, and I was in a meeting with a third-party vendor, and one of the reps for this third-party vendor was closing out of her presentation in our conference room, and after she closed the slideshow, there was a picture as her desktop background, and it was a picture of her son and her daughter. And so I commented on it. I said, oh, that's a sweet face. And are those your children? She said, yes, they are. And here are their ages. And I only have two, but that's enough for me. I have a son and a daughter and I've got to work and I can't have any more children than that. I told my husband, that's it. I'm done having children. And I didn't comment on it. And it's not my place to comment on that to her. But I did mention that I have seven children. And her response was, wow, wow, seven children? Yes, with an eighth on the way. Wow. And I quote, your wife must be a saint. Well, yes, my wife is a saint, but 
What an odd reply. Your wife must be a saint for you to have seven children with an eighth on the way. Do we not aspire to being saints? Is that why it's so unusual for a family to have seven children with an eighth on the way? Not always, obviously. But more often than not, we don't aspire to being saints. We don't aspire to being tried and tested and put through our paces. We don't aspire to being completed and perfected through trials of various kinds, which you don't have to have children in order to face, but you certainly will face when you have children, when you raise children, when you endeavor to train up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But it's such an odd thing to read here in Isaiah three twelve: My people, infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. O oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. That's such an interesting way to describe what's going on here. It's such an odd thing to say that infants are their oppressors. It speaks to a weakness of character when having a child, having an infant, is seen as ruining your life. You lack skills and you lack depth of character. You lack patience and self-control and discipline if an infant oppresses you. But it gets better. Infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. For all the talk of egalitarianism and women needing to rule the world, and women's empowerment and feminism in the past century, liberation from the drudgery that is being a housewife and a mother. One of the things that God himself says in Isaiah chapter three is a symptom of being in judgment as a nation, as a city, as a people, is when infants are your oppressors and women rule over you as a people. Infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. Paul writes in the New Testament, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. That's very direct. That's very blunt. That's very succinct. It's very to the point. And yet we sidestep that and we make war against it. And we don't want that to be true. It's almost as though we are saying that God's ways are not right because that is what we're saying. God's ways are not right, but our ways. Oh, of course. Yes. Our ways are right. And God in heaven looks down on our folly and says, is it really my way that is not right? Are my ways not right? Household of Israel. Is it not your ways that are not right? That is to say, our ways are not right. We are not right. When infants oppress us and women rule over us, we are under judgment. When we see 
a husband and a father's role as being the end of all our fun and joy and happiness and potential, a mother and a wife's role as being such a waste of potential. We are not wise. We are not righteous. We are not following God's word. And now many Christians are quick to say, ho, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's not be legalistic about this. Let's not make a requirement that everyone has to get married and everyone has to have children in order to be righteous. But that's not what I'm talking about, obviously. What we have is a problem in just the opposite direction where there is a lawlessness, an antinomianism, where we make war on God's ways and we rebel against God's ways. And it's ironic to me that where we sit right now with a dementiatic president who won the 2020 election by fraud is threatening to get governors of states, quote, out of the way if they don't toe the line on his COVID restrictions, his lockdowns, his mandates, his tyranny. They're going to be declared insurrectionists, perhaps, because in the twisted logic of the godless in this country, those who oppose the revolution, the glorious revolution, are the insurrectionists. The revolutionaries are the rightful authorities. It's just like when the Bolsheviks called themselves Bolsheviks. Bolshevik is Russian for the majority. Mensheviks, that's Russian for the minority. So the Bolsheviks declared themselves the majority as a kind of name it and claim it, self-fulfilling prophecy. If we say we are the majority, we'll confuse enough people for long enough to take power and intimidate anybody who gets in our way or who might get in our way, who would consider getting in our way into silence and acquiescence and passivity. So what we have is an upending of the order. We have a revolution, an overturning of our government so that a new government, the people's government, so-called, can be instituted. But this is a government which, if successful, which, if God allows to be successful, will be marked with the kind of judgment we see in Isaiah chapter 3. Declaring our sin like Sodom did. Our speech and our deeds are against Yahweh, defying his glorious presence. And yet there is hope here when we read in verse 10, Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, verse 11, it shall be ill with him. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. 
So we see here that God rules and reigns even as he gives Judah and Jerusalem to judgment. He protects his righteous ones and preserves them. And this might not mean that God's people come through without being physically hurt, hated, troubled. But it does mean that God's promises are faithful and true for eternity. He is faithful and true to his promises, even if we are not perfect and we are not perfect. But this is what I would say. We do well to say that God's ways are right and our ways are not right. My people, infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. You get blind guides who tell the people things which flatter them, which tickle their ears, things they want to hear. Permission, affirmation, license, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These blind guides tell the people that God's ways are not right, but that our ways are right. And so we justify ourselves. And yet it's so interesting to me, verse 6, a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak. You shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. I find it relatable that given the condition of America in the moment, at present, there is a keen desire to have a ruler, a leader, perhaps like Saul, who will lead us out of our current predicament. And yet we have an old man who is not really in the driver's seat. He doesn't really fully comprehend what it is that's going on. Clearly, he is a figurehead. And the people behind the scenes are seeking to punish their political opponents, even by the tens of millions. And so is it the case that you have a man taking hold of his brother, almost as if his brother is going to try and run for it? No, 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 no. Don't make me your leader. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want that kind of trouble. No, 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 no. Nope. That's a form of judgment for people to be under. And look at the frivolous reason that they want to make him a leader. You have a cloak. You have a cloak? It's like idiocracy. You, you talk purdy. You're in charge now. What? You have a cloak? You shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule? They're so desperate for the trappings of uh, majesty and prestige and what they have lost. What is evaporating and disintegrating before their eyes. The glory and the splendor that came with being God's people. So a man having a cloak sets him apart. Hey, you've got a nice jacket. Hey, that's a nice suit. Do you want to be in charge? 
No. No, 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 no. Nope. I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. So then, even the folks who are singled out for leadership for frivolous reasons will say, uh-uh, take that somewhere else. Not interested. I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Makes me think of in the final decades and centuries of the Roman Empire, how quickly Roman emperors were assassinated and replaced and with what regularity and for what trifling reasons you get an emperor who people don't like. He's unpopular. He's a tyrant. He's capricious. He's cruel. He's foolish. He's incompetent. He's not getting it. And so the army or the legions tell their general, guess what? New plan. You're the emperor now. And there's one telling case I remember reading in Gibbon's Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire where a general had that exact same thing happen. And he said, no, 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 no. I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. And his soldiers actually threatened to kill him if he refused. So then he relented. What a sad character. With the way things are going, you're going to be emperor for not terribly long, and your heart's not in it. And if you refuse, you're going to be killed. And if you accept, you're probably going to die a bloody death sooner than you would prefer, sooner than you would otherwise. It's such an absolute dichotomy with how good leaders come to be in authority, where a sense of moral obligation takes hold of them and they look at the plight of the people and they have compassion on them like Jesus did. Think about thousands coming out to hear Jesus teach and preach and watch him heal, cast out evil spirits. And more than once, the people come out and they're listening and they have no food and they're hungry. And Jesus has compassion on the people who are just so desperate to hear what it is that he has to say, to be near him, that they have forgotten to make preparations to get food for themselves. He has compassion on them and he feeds them by God's power and by God's grace. He feeds thousands with a meal that probably would have fed only a few, one one thousandth of the number of men, women, and children who were there. But good leaders have compassion on the people and they see how they are afflicted and oppressed and driven here, there, and everywhere. And they're haggard. And you look at what God says in verse 13 through 15, Yahweh has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. Yahweh will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. So God sees 
these tyrannical mandates. Nancy Pelosi sits in her mansion. How did she get to be so wealthy being a public servant for decades? She shows off her quarantine experience almost as if to grind our faces. Look at my ginormous refrigerator full of ice cream. And let me tell you at length in my very luxurious kitchen about my favorite ice cream. And Joe Biden doesn't get covered for his corruption, his son's corruption, his cognitive decline in the lead up to the election last year. No, no, no. The oh-so-friendly journalists who have been bought and paid for, they want to tell us about his favorite ice cream to grind our faces. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. That is to say, you had options, and now you don't, because these jokers pissed them away for their own benefit. They squandered your capital and your freedom and your ability to go here or there. You get into a bind, and it sure is useful to have a Joseph overseeing the storage of grain during seven years of plenty, because seven years of famine are coming. But it's very damn hard when your leaders are corrupt, because we mock virtue, we scoff at God's ways, and we elect representatives who are scoffers and mockers, and they export our wealth to enrich themselves. How is it possible that we could be so foolish? Well, we were complacent. Consider this again. Behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply. All support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier. So you're not going to have strong men anymore. You're going to have weak men. You're not going to have soldiers anymore. You're going to have cowards who don't fight. They tuck tail and run. The judge and the prophet. So you won't have justice. You won't have difficult cases being weighed and measured by men who judge with right judgment. No, no. You'll have chaos and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you'll have might makes right. And you won't have prophets. You'll have men who say, one thing, because they know there's some gain to be had. They'll sell you books. They'll make sweetheart contracts. They'll sit on boards. They'll have really cush deals. And all because they were able to get butts in pews, clicks on links, telling people what they wanted to hear. So, what do we do? Well, again, remember verse 10. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. That is a very great comfort. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him. Hmm. Okay. Pro tip. Don't be wicked. Verse 3. The captain of 50 and the man of rank. You think about 
the qualities of a man who can lead 50 men in battle. And we think in our folly sometimes that the really, really, truly great men lead thousands or millions. But consider with me, if you will, the difficulty in leading a family of seven children. And now imagine you multiply by seven. And instead of these being children, seven times seven, the number that I have, you have men. And not just men, you have strong men, confident men, bold men with their own ideas, their own opinions, their own convictions about what is good and what is true and what we should do next. And they're willing to lay their lives on the line, but they're not willing to throw their lives away for nothing. And a captain of 50 is going to tell them, here's where we strike and make them pay for your lives dearly. And those 50 lead others, but they follow the captain and the man of rank. But God says to Judah and Jerusalem, He's taking away from Jerusalem and Judah support and supply. And that includes the captain of 50. I think of my great, great, great grandfather, George F. McFarland, leading the 151st Pennsylvania Volunteers at the Battle of Gettysburg. And Major General Abner Doubleday, credited him with saving the First Corps and by extension saving the Army of the Potomac and by extension saving the Union cause. And by extension, if you want to take it a step further, making it possible to emancipate the slaves really truly. My great-great-great-grandfather was a school teacher and he led or was a lieutenant colonel, but then became the acting commander after his superior and the company surgeon had to go to Washington, D.C. for a month because they were sick. Lieutenant Colonel George F. McFarland led a company of men from Pennsylvania who were known as the school teachers regiment because of how many school teachers were in their company. And so You look at that type of man who goes from being a school teacher to leading a company, a regiment, a volunteer, other school teachers in decisive battle against the best equipped of the Confederate side. That kind of man who has an outsized role in the conflict You take that kind of support away from a people because you don't have strong men anymore. You have weak men. You don't have mighty men anymore. You have weak men. You don't have judges and prophets and diviners and elders and captains of 50 and men of rank, counselors and skillful magicians and experts in charms. No, 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 no. Verse four, I will make boys their princes. And why is it that boys are made princes? Because they can be figureheads because they can be controlled and manipulated by people who don't have the qualifications to sit in that position, but they want the power. 
They want to wield the power and the influence, and so they are the power behind the throne. This prince is a boy, and he's going to be ruling in name only, but we actually make all of his decisions. Or, in our case, this elderly man who doesn't have his wits anymore is going to be our candidate because people know his name. But the people behind the scenes who call the shots, who actually make the decisions, they wouldn't win an election if your life depended on it. Except they have, and it does. I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them, and the people will oppress one another. See Biden's speech from Thursday. The people will oppress one another. Let's have businesses fire their employees if they refuse to inject themselves with an experimental vaccine, if they refuse to wear a mask all day, every day, to cover their faces. That's oppression. That is oppression. And we are oppressing one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. When people are calling to report that a father and his children and his wife are playing ball at the park, no one else around, just them playing ball at the park during lockdowns, and the police come and arrest them. Everyone his neighbor, the people are oppressing one another. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. Read the comment section on articles posted online. Abusive, insolent, scoffing. That's oppressing one another. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against Yahweh, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. They throw parades. They have entire months of the year dedicated to celebrating how proud they are of their sin. Woe to them, verse 9, for they have brought evil on themselves. But verse 10, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. We do well to be thinking in very, very sober terms about how all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for instruction unto righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Because the kind of good work that's needed when a nation is under judgment, when a people is oppressing one another, when infants are your oppressors and women rule over you, the kind of good works which are needed, we are not prepared for and equipped for otherwise, apart from all scripture. And so we have to grapple with these things. We have to really, really contend. We have to, shed, we have to study to show ourselves approved. Workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We have to not quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And we have to avoid irreverent babble, since it only leads people into more and more ungodliness. We have to be self-controlled, sober and vigilant. For our adversary, the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the good news is, 
by God's grace, we can do all of that. And as verse 10 says, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them. So I am troubled. I am concerned. My heart aches. 20 years after the events of September 11th, 2001, terrorist attacks, war declared by a vicious, ruthless, cruel enemy who wanted to destroy all our freedoms and our wealth and our confidence and set us against one another. 20 years ago, they set about to doing that. And if you'll remember, some of you who are my age or older or have studied these things, the chatter among the Islamists who made war against us, who still make war against us, was that America had gone soft and we didn't have the virility, the courage, the endurance to really fight them long term. Eventually, we would tuck tail and run and we would fold like a lawn chair and they would win. They decided to do the kind of thing that Democrats surrendered to the Viet Cong because of attack and retreat, attack and retreat, attack and retreat, harass, weary, drive out. Only they weren't doing it in some South Asian, Southeast Asian jungle, some foreign country. They were doing it here and they are doing it still. And woe unto the wicked. But verse 10, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Now I firmly believe that we should endeavor, among other things, to set apart Christ in our hearts as holy, to acknowledge God in all our ways, to study, to show ourselves approved workmen, because it is work, we should endeavor to be mighty men and judges and elders and captains of 50, if need be, and men of rank, and to not put boys in as princes, and to not be oppressed by infants, and to not be ruled by women. We should endeavor to have the strength of character necessary for the days ahead. Because as much as you and I really, really want to believe that things are about to get better, except by God's grace, things are about to get much worse. Barring divine intervention, things are about to get much, much worse. But by God's grace, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. But if that is true when it comes to sowing to the flesh, it's also true with regards to sowing to the spirit. And I am not embarrassed to say that we have wicked, godless, even in some cases satanic people trying to destroy our country and trying to turn us against one another so that we oppress one another because that is what's happening. And it is judgment that we've been handed over to as a people, unless we repent.
confess our sins against God and turn away from them. Put on sackcloth and ashes, by all means. Repent. Repent. And I say it quietly because I am not optimistic that we will repent as a nation. But I pray that we do. And we ought to call for repentance. Even if, instead of being listened to, we end up being brutalized for it. Because how else will we be in good conscience on that day? How else can we say we'll be found faithful in that day? This is a very sobering thing to say, but it's a needful thing. And it's for times like this that I have never really been comfortable with Veggie Tales because Veggie Tales is predicated on sanitizing God's Word as if it needed it, as if God's Word needed to be sanitized, as if it was somehow unclean. Oh, but Garrett, there's sex and violence and uncomfortable things and ugly things and unsettling and scary things. Yes, that's right, by design, not accidentally. God doesn't need to repent of that fact. You need to repent of being so uncomfortable with it that you try to sanitize it, that you try to make it neutered. So I think it's time that we get acquainted with passages like these, that we study them diligently because we can't have the good news apart from the context of the prognosis. And the prognosis apart from that good news, apart from salvation by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, Apart from that, the prognosis is not good. But by God's grace, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. That's all I've got for this episode. I'm going to leave it there. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.